Hello, and welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. I'll be honest, I just woke up and I'm recording this in the morning, so my voice sounds pretty deep. I apologize. Maybe I should get into a late night jazz radio. Coming up next on Where Are All My Friends is my friend Andrew Doyle. He joins us this week to explain exactly how to make merchandise. Wow, I uh, committed to that for longer than I thought. No, but for real, this week is with my friend Andrew Doyle. And I wanted to do an episode very specifically on how to make quality merch. It's been something that I've been thinking about doing an episode on, and I wanted to wait to have the absolute right person, and I feel like he's just perfect for it. So in it, we cover all of the fundamentals, estimating quantities, understanding different blanks, getting designs, different payment terms, different fulfillment options, like if you should be shipping or if you should be hiring a company to ship, what it should cost you to make basic shirts, when you should start thinking about making custom shirts, what's it cost for a company to run your merch store. We really, really got into it. And the reason this episode is a little bit longer is we also told his story. So if you're listening to this intro right now and you're like, listen, his story is great and all, but I'm here to learn how to make some merch. Go ahead and skip to 33 minutes in. That's where we get to the technical how-tos of everything. Another thing about that is if you haven't noticed, every episode that I do has timestamps. If you scroll through the description or wherever you're listening, there are timestamps for just about every highlight of every episode. And that does not take a short amount of time. I timed myself making this episode and all in recording, editing, adding the video element to YouTube, adding the timestamps, all of that, making the art for the episode, took about 10 hours. And I'm not saying that to look for any type of sympathy or, oh my God, or maybe actually if you're listening and you're like, dude, that is way too long. Let me show you some tips, please let me know. But the reason I say that is if you don't mind taking one second or realistically 30 seconds to share this episode with a friend, share it on social media, subscribe where you're listening, or even going above and beyond and donating to the show on whereareallmyfriends.com slash donate. All of those things are immensely helpful. I do not get to do this full time as my only thing right now. This is a passion project and I do this because I genuinely try to help people and I genuinely love hearing people's stories, but I would love to be able to do this full time and I'd love to be able to put even more time and resource into making these episodes better and having even crazier guests and covering better subjects. And with you doing those things, that becomes a possibility. So if you do like this episode and you do enjoy the podcast in general, if you haven't done any of those things yet and you're down to, it is immensely helpful and greatly appreciated. All right, that's just about enough of me talking. Let's get into it. Where are all my friends? We're back again, and this is a real friend today. This is Andrew Doyle, who owns Overcast Merch, but is just a general fucking homie. One of the most genuine people that I've met, and I was really excited to do this episode because not only, like, we've been friends, but I feel like I don't actually know, like, your story story, and I also haven't really had anybody on the podcast that really can cover like merchandise and how to make merchandise and that whole side of the industry. So like truly who better to have on than you. So thank you for joining me. So what I like to do to start is very, very briefly, just your introduction, like who you are, what you do. I am, um, I own, I co-own Overcast Merch um, with my buddy Bailey, who you know. Um, yes. And we do 
sort of pre-COVID, pre-Zoom podcasting. Uh, we did a lot of tour fulfillment. Um, you know, uh, this year that sort of dynamic has shifted more towards e-com. You know, yeah. <clears throat> direct to client sales for for artists, YouTubers, fans, whatever. So that's definitely shifted. I'm sure we'll get into that. <laughs> Yeah, we will. That's a lot of a lot of what I want to talk about is just how to properly do merch. So that'll be awesome. So Um, where I like to then go, though, is and this is going to be great, because like I said, we're boys, but I feel like I don't know. Like, I know a little bit of your origin story. I know a little bit of your backstory, but not fully. So I guess take me back to like your early days of like where you're from growing up, finding that first interest, kind of like that area of your life. So I grew up in Iowa um, in a town called Cedar Falls that um, had a really substantial punk and hardcore scene. Um, Mm. I remember I grew up next to this house that was like a punk house that did shows. And, you know, I passed by it, you know, walking my dog or whatever at night. And um, I just kind of wandered in. I had friends that talked about it and there was a show going on and it was crazy. There was mattresses all over and it was basically like a big wrestling match and, you know, all these punk bands are playing and it was, uh, it was like, love it for sight. You know, you just go in and the energies, it's fucking crazy. Especially when you're a kid. You're, it, yeah. How old were you when you found that? 13 or 14. I mean, I was in, I was in, that's like that perfect age. Yeah. I was in junior high and like, I actually had some friends that were, that played in a band that were playing a show there. You know, I think they were like, I think we we're in eighth grade and you know, it's like looking back on it and listening to the music now, cause I've kept a lot of that from that era and it's not good of course, but at the time it was, it felt like the greatest thing ever. And it just kind of rolled from there, you know? And I think a lot of people that get involved in subcultures like punk and hardcore feel the same the same way. You know, you don't, you don't really ever leave it. It just kind of evolves. And, you know, I started booking shows, um, reaching out to, to bands on like peer volume and, and MySpace and booking house shows, basement shows when I, before I could drive, I, I remember my grandma dropped me off at one of the first shows that I booked at this like house venue called the switch that was up by the college. And it was a band called regret from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And I'd hit them up on peer volume and they ended up being, I mean, they're, if you look them up, they're an incredible hardcore band. That That's a band that aged really well. They were on organized crime records. and Oh, wow. So they like went on to like do the thing. Like you had good taste in that genre, even then. The singer of Regret, uh, Matt Keel ended up being, he played bass and comeback kid for a while. Like he, he, they were guys that played another band, Sean from Holding On. They were like a, a prominent bridge nine band um, from, from the Midwest back in. And it, wow. you know, it just kind of evolved from there. I, you know, I was in bands growing up and, um, you know, I joined. I was going to ask that. Yeah. Did you ever, you did play? Yeah. That's how I, that's how I met Bailey. That's how I started touring or like started tour booking. So when I was okay. 17, I joined like a straight edge punk hardcore band. And okay. Cause I remember you, I knew for sure that you had established yourself and had quite a successful career as a booking agent. But I didn't, I was thinking about it before we started this. And I was like, I don't know if he actually ever played in bands. Yeah, that's how it started. I I started, I kind of took what I'd done for my band in tandem with other, you know, other dudes in the band. We booked all of our own shit. Everything then was DIY. 
and we traveled all over the country and played, made a ton of good friends. I mean, and we did it for years and, you know, it, it just kind of blossomed from there. You know, when I stopped touring, I started managing a music venue and kind of using the things that I had learned how to do like out on the road, but do it from the other side, buying tours. And, you know, it was, it was a venue in a kind of a BC market. So a lot of like active rock was like pretty big there, but everyone that worked there were people that I hired. They were all like hardcore kids from, you know, the scene and had grown up, you know, like I did going to like pretty rough shows and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I started tour buying and working production and ended up managing this venue. And, and then Bailey hit me up and was like, Hey, I'm starting a booking agency. I know that you book tours. Cause we had played a ton of shows together. I'd always booked Bailey's bands when they came through and he's like, do you want to do this? And I was like, absolutely. I have like a list of bands that I'd want to start off with right away. Um, and just, that's how it went. I was literally, the venue uh, was a corporate venue. It ended up closing down. Um, and they, this corporation moved me to a nightclub. <laughs> so I started managing a nightclub, but I would be sitting in the back office and the nightclub would be jam packed, you know, one in, one out. And it's one in the morning and I really should be out there, but I'm in the back office, like sending emails to promoters and, you know, like doing advances and, and, booking tours like at the same time. And uh, that's really how that sort of chapter started, you know? Yeah. So you just like literally like lived and breathed it. Like that was everything. It was nonstop. And it, it, and I booked shows basically from 15 until I I booked almost every hardcore show that came through the area. Uh, Yeah. Lost a ton of money over the years. It was a, you know, a passion and it was a, something I really enjoyed doing. And I, I think at that time I had such an intense, like DIY sort of ethic ethos that even when there was much money to be had, you know, cause booking is kind of a, you win some, you lose some. I still would just give all the money to bands because I'm like, you know, I, what am I, it's not for me. I don't do this for profit. I remember there was this kind of mathy band from like the Northeast called the network. And, um, they played, I mean, like, the show crushed because the locals, locals in, in small scenes drive all the traffic, you know, touring bands in those small scenes. That's especially before the age of, you know, streaming and digital music and like that yeah. era was really big. In the early days, touring bands toured um, to expose themselves to the kids that the local bands drew out. Yeah, dude. And if you had a good promoter who cared, that promoter was super in touch with the locals and was like, you knew, like, I remember we always had like one promoter in Minnesota and he just was so in touch that it didn't matter like what the show was or what the tour package was. We knew it was going to be a lit show just because he always had the best locals. And that's, that's the key. at least at that time, that was the key. I don't think it's so much like that now i think in the no it's, it's funny to talk about like i'm forgetting i'm like oh yeah that, that was era, it was local bands that brought all the kids out and they brought a lot of kids out yeah they were like, and then the touring bands would like claim the numbers they'd be like oh you know like we dropped 300 kids in iowa and you're like do you but I remember, or does andrew doyle actually just know the best people i remember paying this band like a thousand bucks or 1200 bucks and they were like blown away they were like i've never been um at the time you know i think they were 
pretty like still in the early kind of early stages, early days. Oh, I mean, yeah, like getting a that's a lot. That's insane. And like, I mean, I I remember like I feel like the like starter pack guarantee if you're a touring band and you like don't really have the numbers like a hundred dollars. Like if you're getting one to three hundred dollars, you're good. Most of the or at least that was standard. Yeah, most of the shows I did, I I rarely did guarantees unless I really 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 wanted it. And the, the agents that worked with me at the time understood that about me because I just, I yeah. didn't, I didn't agree with the idea of punk and hardcore bands getting guarantees. I just didn't. It was, and even when I toured, it was the same deal. We never did guarantees. It was like, Hey, like promote the show hard. We'll do a door deal. We don't want you to lose money. We'll sell merch. And most of the time, the money that we made when we were on tour was just for merch. That's how we put gas in the tank. Yeah. You know, whatever. But, um, I still That's never funny. let bands lose money. Like even if we were on a door deal and the show tanked, I'd still pay them out of my pocket and make sure they could get to the next show and do their thing, you know? And I, yeah. I made a lot of connections, good connections and friends that way. And, you know, it's funny looking back on it. If I hadn't done those things, I would have nothing that I have right now, you know? And I think that that's kind of the most interesting part about people's origin stories. And, and people ask, Oh, do you have any regrets? And it's like, no, because if I'd done any single one of those things different, I wouldn't be where I am now. I mean, literally everything that I have and do is thanks to walking into that punk house when I was 13 or 14 and checking out that show. And it, it changed my life forever. I mean, literally, I, would, I don't even know what I'd be doing if I hadn't done those things. Dude, I love the way you put that so much because... To me, my like simple check of that is like in my head, I'm just like, oh, they're a real one, right? Like just whatever that is, like I'll talk to somebody like, all right, yeah, you're a real one. I think especially in a small, like a kind of a smaller area, like that's that's what there was to do on the weekends. And it wasn't just when touring bands came through. There was plenty of all local shows and there were local bands that were like the local bands that everyone knew all the words to and went off for. And, and I guess... I feel really lucky that I grew up where I did. You know, that all these really awesome, motiv- you know, motivated people came out of this really small scene and they're doing all these great things. And, and it's because of where we grew up. And it's because that every Friday or Saturday or whatever, we were going to shows and, and super involved in music. And, and I think that that's really special. I think um, a lot of small scenes have that, uh, but you just wouldn't, you wouldn't think about it in those terms. You know what I mean? So I absolutely love the way you said that. And that's exactly why I try to go back to those early days in telling people's stories, because that's that common theme is like these weird, I don't even want to say underdog, but like coming from those small towns and having nothing, having to make something out of nothing or having those weird, unexpected houses that end up being this huge formative thing are so cool to think back on and be like, damn, that was that formative moment. And that subculture, like you said, ended up being everything. Yeah. So you put that really well. So your first thing was working with Bailey and booking on an even bigger level. So I was doing that out of the nightclub and the nightclub that I worked at was pretty, pretty, it it was a college town. It was a, it was a crazy place to be. But there was a lot of problems there. It was a pretty rough nightclub. There was some pretty crazy shit that happened. And there was this one, this one night 
you know, it happens all the time. People get too drunk and, and, you know, pop off. And there was this big, huge brawl fight and it, get, it got pushed out into the street. And, um, I was, <clears throat> you know, I managed the nightclub. So I have to be involved in that whole process, make sure nothing's, nothing's going wrong. And, and I'm out on the street and I'm telling this, this guy, I'm yelling at this guy in the street. I'm like, yo, just, just take off. Cops are on their way. Do yourself a favor. Just, just roll out of here. You stick around, nothing good's going to happen. And his boy thought that I was like trying to square up with him. And so he came up behind me and knocked me out. Didn't even see him. Just knocked me out from behind. I fell down on my face and he's just stomping on my head while I'm unconscious. And fortunately, one of the security guards that worked for me, um, this really great dude uh, that goes, goes by, his name is Buttons, uh, but he's like this big gnarly uh, dude. And he ripped the guy off and restrained him. And, and you know, um, I don't remember anything. Uh, my, I had three fractures in my right cheekbone, nose broken in three places. I lost hours. The, ne- the next thing I remember, the last thing I remember is I'm talking, I'm, you know, yelling at this dude in the street, like, get out of here. And the next thing I remember, it's hours later. Everyone's gone. I'm sitting up. I'm covered in blood. I'm sitting up in this chair holding, like, an ice pack to my face. And I just remember being so confused. I'm like, what happened? And I say that out loud. And um, somebody who's one of my best friends in the whole world, and he actually lives here in LA now as well, but he was working at that nightclub and he was standing there and he's like, oh shit, we got to take you to the hospital. And the ambulance had come and all this stuff. And I turned all that down. I had no idea that any of that had happened. And my face was just totally fucked up. And I ended up... um, going to the hospital, getting CAT scans and all that. And I had a major concussion and, and, and memory loss and, you know, all this crazy shit had happened. And I went home after I got out of the hospital, they released me at like seven in the morning and, and my phone had blown up. People, it's a small town. So people word like that travels fast. I had people text me. And people had heard I like, like died, like crazy shit. Yeah. 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 And, um, I slept for like 18 hours. I woke up, I called Bailey and said, I got to get the fuck out of here. And he goes, I have somebody moving out of my place. And he was living in Seattle and we were booking tours together already. We we're doing state of mind touring. And he's like, I got somebody moving out. This guy, Bob, he's, he's, he's moving. I was like, I'll see you in two weeks. So I went to the company uh, that I was working for. I, I went straight to the CEO, handed him my two weeks. He asked me like, how much money would it get to take you to, to stay? And I said, you, you don't have enough money. This is not yeah. worth it. Yeah. I, I hate this job. I hate who it's made me. I am literally putting my safety and health on the line for a shitty, measly salary. It's just, it's, this isn't what I want. This isn't yeah. passionate about this. I, I tripped into this because I was working somewhere else and they liked what I'd done there and tried to move me over here and square peg and round hole. It's just not who I was as a person. It kind of went against my DNA. My friends noticed significant changes about me during that era. And that was my wake-up call. You know, that dude got arrested and did 10 years for that without my testimony. Um, I didn't I didn't testify. I the cops came and took pictures of my face when I was in the hospital, I think. I had already moved to Seattle before the, they tried to fly me back to testify and the state just picked up the case. I was like, I don't want anything to do with it. 
it yeah. is what it is. He acted out of line, but I don't, I don't want that frame. That's not what I want, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Like, Take me out. I'm not interested. And they put him away anyways. And I used to get emails all the time and like, uh, applied to get out and, um, you know, it sucks because he was young. He was young and dumb. And he, he bragged about it online afterwards. Dude, uh, insane. So that was enough for you to be like, I'm fucking out. It was a wake up Seattle. I mean, it's as clear yeah. messaging as you can get is, hey, like, wake up, dude. This is not the life you wanted. <laughs> and so actually, I quit my job. I sold all my shit. I paid. I was on a bunch of pain medication. I had to see a plastic surgeon and shit. I paid one of my roommates said, hey, drive out with me because I was on uh, like Vicodin or Oxy or something for the, the pain. And you're not yeah. supposed to drive on that shit. So I'm like, drive out with me. I'll fly you home. You get a little little road trip out of it. And we packed up my two-door Celica and, and we fucking hit the road. We drove to Seattle. And, um, you know, it, it was the best decision I ever made in my entire life. Um, and that kind of gets us to the turning point of everything. So then tell me that turning point. So I tell me life in Seattle. What's what, what happened? I loved it. I love Seattle. That was a great city. It's filled with great people. Uh, the nature there is incredible. I mean, it, as far as a transition point for someone's life, going from what I was living, working kind of the bar shift and, and being sort of a zombie to living in Seattle where, you know, I'm rock climbing three times a week and, and, you know, kayaking in the Puget Sound and hiking in the Olympics and, and the Cascades. It, it was, it was a really, really good decision. And I was booking tours, but I wasn't making enough doing that. Cause you're booking punk and hardcore bands. It's not like, especially at that level, you're not making a lot of money. And I, the house I'd moved into had a merch company running out of it called Overcast. And I, took a job just cleaning screens out in the backyard. Cause we had like a pretty big house. It was a mother-in-law suite in the basement that we like had a single four color press and a little tiny dryer, uh, you know, like the little, <laughs> little box ones. And we ran, we were running a business out of it and we had a store that had like, hardcore bins and tear and, um, you know, shit like that in it. And, uh, we ran all this out of our house and did that for a year. And I ended up buying out Bailey's old partner. And a month later, we, we moved we moved to LA and moved to Long Beach. Wow. And then didn't you run into, I think this is a story that you told me before, which was crazy. Wasn't it? You did the move to LA and you had your whole, like all of your setup, all of your gear, everything from Seattle in a moving truck. And you had one night where you had to leave it in the truck. Yeah. So we got to we packed the truck up we had done a pretty busy order um right before we left we packed up in a hurry we cleaned the house did all that and then got in got in the moving truck we drove down it's a long drive we drove it straight we were super tired parked the truck we got there really late we parked the truck the same night we got there bane and cruel hand were staying at our place because they had come through and it was an empty ass house we had like a bunch of mattresses just thrown into the living room. There's probably like 15 people staying in my house. And at two in the morning, the truck had only been there for a few hours, two in the morning, someone fired that, that U-Haul up. Cause we didn't have keys to our print shop until the next day. Someone fired up the truck, drove it all the way to Corona, got busted by the cops, but, um, they'd emptied out most of it. And the cops 
fucked up the investigation and basically released the U-Haul back to U-Haul prematurely. And so everyone that was involved in robbing us got off completely clean, no charges, no nothing. U-Haul loot told us on the insurance. So we were just out. I had just, I had just a month before bought into this company and instantly we had nothing but our name and our press, one of our presses, which was broken um, because they, it's too heavy for them to move quickly. So they had emptied out our home store and a bunch of our equipment, smashed a bunch of shit. So we had one press and we were, and just moved into an actual spot, you know, that wasn't a house and we were starting over. And I remember thinking like, did I just make the biggest mistake of my life? You know? And I was like, this is it. Like we're, I don't know what we're going to do. Well, that's something that's so interesting about you to me is there's been these stories. And as you're telling this, that like, that's terrible. And like, I don't know, like, okay, losing a bunch of money on a show as a kid, uh, getting rocked at that club, this, and I feel like you have this level of like, not fault being like overly optimistic, but you do have this just like very positive, like, I don't know. I don't want to call it blind faith. Cause I don't think it's that, but like, what is that? How are you like? So not phased by these terrible things. I mean, I was, we were both Bailey and I, it rocked us. I mean, I, I okay. feel like we were del- delirious. Like the, we started doing the renos on the, the spot that we were moving into and we had a really good time tearing that place apart. And I don't know if it was just getting out that negative energy or what, but I remember us being like almost deliriously optimistic, even though all this crazy shit had happened. But the reality is we didn't have a B plan, you know, um, I, this is it for me, you know, and I had put all my eggs in this basket as had Bailey. And I mean, what can we, we didn't have an alternative. This, this was our only option. So we either have to make it work or I don't know, you know, I mean, we, I don't have any, I have a little bit of college education. I dropped out. Um, Bailey has none, you know, we just, this was what we wanted to do. And we were really lucky to have some really fucking great friends. Um, specifically that, that, that bailed us out. They, they Bane and trapped under ice were both pivotal bands in that they put in big orders with us right away, cash up front, you know, gave us some lead time. And we literally just took the money that they paid us for the order to start to rebuild. You know, I mean, we, we use their money to buy the merchandise, to print the merch, you know what I mean? And just kind of like start from ground, ground level. And, um, damn, I'm really thankful to those, those dudes specifically, you know, um, for pulling through. And that's the, that's the cool thing about punk and hardcore. That's the cool thing about community and friendship is, you know, when you are on your ass and don't know what you're going to do, like people surprise you, people pull through. And I think that that's, you know, that's, we didn't want to do a GoFundMe. We didn't want to do anything like that. We're like, this is a for-profit business. This isn't a charity. If we can't figure it out on our own, then, then it is what it is. Um, but we had some really great people pull through and we ate a lot of really cheap ramen and nothing for a long time. Um, God, I love that. 
So now to fast forward a little bit, you literally went from no equipment, a space in LA chasing a dream to now being at a spot where you have a very successful merchandise company and you run stores for massive names. You make like a cool spot to tie it in with the listener is when I, I think the the first big project that we did together was I had made the version three tour. So it was like all of like the SoundCloud homies and everything coming together. And we did this tour, which was honestly pretty DIY, but a lot of those guys had never even made merch before. So you just took on this project and you're like, yeah, cool. Like, let's do it all short deadline, whatever. And they wanted to do a bunch of crazy custom stuff and you did it all. And we had known each other, but I feel like that was the thing that like really solidified the friendship. And it was my firsthand experience of like, not only do you have a very real company, it was just like the quality, the care, the understanding, everything. We had I, we had a merch shipment that UPS misdelivered and it got stuck in Philly. And I swear you were chasing that whole tour to get us that box. But it was like, dude, you have all these clients and you just made it work and you put so much time and care. And like, I felt it like a, a similar feeling of like you being the person that you are and caring about your people I felt that on a firsthand level. And I think after that, we got a little bit closer and I just really saw what you were doing and understood it even more and more. And it's just really impressive to me. Like, these are the stories I want to tell. These are the people I want to hear from because it's like, I know firsthand where you were. I didn't know all of those details. That's insane. But I know what you've been through to a degree and I know the hard work and the person that you are. So seeing that translate now into like a very real, very successful company is really cool to me. And I really like to hear stories like that from people like you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> that was a long time. I mean, that was eight or nine years ago, right? Mm -hmm. uh, fast forwarding, you know, and it's just, it was a gradual process. We grew very organically, very controlled. Everything that we ever bought, we bought in cash, you know, upfront, like we didn't lease things. We, we tried to do everything the safe, slow, smart way. And, you know, we just moved into a bigger warehouse and a bigger warehouse and a bigger warehouse and then multiple warehouses. Now we have three locations and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mixture of things. It's, yes, you have to put your head down and just get after it and grind it. And yeah, there's some times that really suck. I can think of some very long nights. Um, I can think of periods in my life where I did little else, but be at the shop, be printing orders, be, you know, whatever. But it's also about having, creating a work environment that you enjoy. And, you know, that's the thing that I think is the best part about being self-employed is you get to choose your environment. And the people that I have working for me here and there's quite a few of them now. They're wonderful people. They're hard workers. They care about the work they do. But we've also developed, you know, friendships here. Like these, these are people that hang out after work and like maybe people that otherwise wouldn't have come to be friends, you know, have grown pretty tight and close. When we go out, you know, we'll take, take the, the whole crew out a couple times a year. Not so much this year because it's a weird time to go to restaurants. But 
you know, yeah. <laughs> we're all together outside of here. Everyone's chopping it up. They're getting pretty rip roaring drunk and we're having a good time, you know? And I think that that's really cool. And I think that, um, that's my favorite part about what I do now is even though work can be stressful and it can be crazy. I love the people that I spend a lot of time with every day. Yeah. And, um, I think that's a beautiful thing. I like that a lot. Yeah. It, it's, it's this weird full circle thing where you understood what community was on the most genuine level way early in your life. And now, even though it's not a hardcore show at a house, you've brought community with you everywhere you've gone. And I think that that's incredible. I think that that's important. I think that um, when you grow up in, in, especially in a subculture like alternative music, that ethos follows you everywhere. And it's definitely part of what's made me the level of of success that I have, whatever you deem that to be, um, was integral in that. Like there's, you couldn't have this without all the things that happened growing up and and going through some of that crazy shit because it just, it makes you who you are as a person and it drives your work ethic and, and how you interact with people and, and you know, what, what your priorities are. And I think that that's totally a big part of, of what this shop has become because Bailey and I met on tour when he was on, when he was in Gravemaker and, um, you know, that friendship never stopped. And we, we always look out for the little guys still, you know, that want to start stores or do their first merch run. You know, we get it. We've been there. We've, we've toured, we've booked toured. We've been in many facets of this industry and that we understand. Yep. And I think it's from that sense of understanding that we've been able to develop those relationships with people because I think that's, they feel that. Yeah. I think that's what really drew me to working with y'all too, is like, there's plenty of merch companies that you can find and go to, and they'll all be like, oh, customer service, this, that, and this. But to me, this feels different. It's like, cool. There's like, there's customer service. And then there's like, we fucking live this. And like, this is our scene. This is our circle. This is our community. And the amount of care and the amount of like, just that understanding what it's like to be a musician at any level, an artist, a creator at any level, and just want to help and understanding it, that translates so much. And for me, I relate to that. And I want to work with people like that. And I feel it when I work with y'all and that's just cool. So that is the perfect transition to the other part of this that I wanted to talk about or the other part of the podcast that I wanted to get into is I think now more than ever, this has been a really weird year. Obviously no one could have expected any of this, but we still have so many artists and creatives that certainly aren't going to stop. It's just been a lot of adapting. And I think that a lot of my listeners, granted, you know, everyone, like there's a a varying age range and experience, whatever, but I think that there is a a large amount of my audience that is in some kind of like, there's some kind of creative or they're managing a creative or they're interested in optimizing what they're doing. And I haven't really touched on merch and making things and any type of that. So... I wanted to get into some specific questions on that with you to try to maybe help somebody that's been interested in this, been trying to step their game up, but doesn't necessarily know the right place to start. Let's get into it. Shall we? Yeah. All right. All right. So I guess I'm thinking like, 
the very first thing is anybody can go online and like what's the sites like Teespring, something like that. Explain the pros and cons, like what happens when you're using something like that versus using a real company. I don't want to speak directly to a given company. Just sure. Okay. So call it like, but, but there are many companies that um, are sort of more catered towards. Okay, you have a baseball team and you want to do baseball team T-shirts, and you only need fifteen of them. You're gonna pay a premium to get that done, but you can get it done. You can get it done in small batch, and that's okay. And there's nothing wrong with that formula, um, particularly for certain settings. It's it's a really great resource, and it's necessary because not everyone needs larger batch merchandise. But right. It's very convenient if you want 15 shirts and it doesn't really matter if you pay a premium towards that because you're only going to do that once. And you're probably going to just forward that cost to parents and they're going to pay for it. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, that's not yes. that big of a deal. But when you're an artist and you're trying to monetize um, merchandise, you can't really pay $15 a shirt when at most, especially if you're new, you're only able to sell it for $15 or $20. You're, you're operating at a break-even or slightly above break-even. And that is a difficult, um, it's difficult to get motivated to do that because you're putting in all this work and you're getting almost no return. Um, what's funny about that is that's not a mistake that just people who, uh, you know, small, small people, you know, small um, like artists or, or new artists make. There are, plenty of established um, businesses and brands that just don't know any better. Really? Oh, go that route. And um, I've taken some uh, of those situations and shown them, hey, send me your numbers. Like, this is what you did gross for the year. And this is what you paid per shirt. And this is what you sold the shirt for. And this is your profit. Say you paid $18 to get the shirt done because it's a direct fulfillment shirt and you only charge 24 yeah. for it. You profited six bucks. If you believe in yourself and you believe in your project, print a small run, flip those numbers, pay $6 a shirt, sell it for 24 and profit, you know, 18. Those are the kinds of numbers mm -hmm. that make the return worth it. And I think that it's mostly just people not, not knowing better. I mean, those companies that do that again, great service, super necessary, they also are big business. They have a lot of, I see, um, you know, like custom ink ads and stuff all the time on TV and, and that's great. And so that's what's yep. optically right in front of people. But I think for people, you know, like people that are, would be listening to this podcast, for example, they understand, you know, they see bands and stuff like that. I think they probably have a good sense that those bands aren't producing their merch through those types of companies. Right. They're going yeah. through, direct through merch production companies and doing them in, in batches, you know. And that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean hundreds of shirts. I mean, 30 to 60. We do orders like that all the time. And you, I was going to ask you. Yeah, because yeah, I think like the necessity of like the dot-com print on demand kind of thing is like, maybe you like are starting to pop off on TikTok or you started a YouTube and like, you just like, you have a bunch of people asking for merch. You don't really know. That's not your thing that you're focusing on. And you're like, all right, whatever. I'll throw my logo on something. You can buy it. Cool. 
But then it's maybe just like you don't realize that it can be so much better and so much more optimized. And my next question for you was like, what uh, what's the smallest order that an artist can do? I mean, it, it's kind of dependent on it's that's a really broad question. It's it sure is. We <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> we try to make decisions with the artist in mind in terms of if you really want five shirts, we'll do it. But you're gonna pay for that. I mean, because the yeah, you know what I mean, it takes so much time to set up. Well, so we here. Let me rephrase say, a little. We, we try to say like. Okay, if you've got kind of a standard, relatively simple design, we'll do 36 pieces for you. And that's something yeah. that can be economical. And you can you can see a return on that where you're selling your shirts for 15 or 20 bucks and you're able to make some money. Like, yeah, obviously, I guess. Yeah. The more you print, the cheaper it is. But I guess like the thing that I'm trying to paint is like the scenario and things like I want to. And maybe some of my listeners are listening and they're like, dude, this is so painfully redundant, but that's okay. Skip through. Like I want to like start at like a very square one level because I think there's a lot of artists that could be making cool merch that maybe just don't understand these things. So what I kind of wanted to specifically talk about is like getting to that like 36 to 100-ish line of merch, doing like finding your design, understanding the differences in blanks, understanding like the very basics of net terms or paying up front. Do you ship it all to your house, online fulfillment? Like if you could paint me that picture of like your first proper merch run, what that looks like, things to consider. People get really hung up on that. They think that it's this big complicated process and they have to have all this incredible know-how and be super savvy and have all of their shit together before they submit an order. And yes, that's obviously excellent, but that's not the normal. I mean, a lot of people, we do merch for a lot of people that have never done merch before and they are very upfront about that. And they're like, guide me. And that's, we're perfectly happy to do that. Um, you know, we don't expect everyone to know, oh, I prefer a Bella Canvas shirt to an all style tee or, you know, like you might not know that if that's not something you're paying attention to, we can walk you through that process. You know, I think yeah. for a lot of people, it's just give us an idea what your demographics like or go grab a shirt out of your closet you really like. Tell, tell me what's on the tag. You know, we can give you a sense of direction and we help even big, you know, artists and stuff hone in what they really love, what their fans respond to. And that's done through testing. You know, we put out shirts, we get feedback, we see what their core audience likes because every demographic's different. So not to get too far away from the original question, but the short answer to that is bring your best, bring, bring your idea to us and we will help guide you as will a lot of other merch companies. This isn't an advertisement for Overcast. There are a lot of great merch companies out there that will help guide you through that process. You don't have to have all of your shit together. That's our job to help you get there. And, yeah. you know, starting just on ground level, say you're a streamer or, you know, or, or a, a TikToker, or you've got a new Twitch channel and you want to test that market, believe in yourself, put, put faith that you can move a couple dozen shirts, even if it's the friends and family, you know, even if you have to sell them discounted at the end, believe in yourself, put together a design that you like, that you think is reflective of your brand and get it in motion and, and fulfill those orders and, and see what that looks like. I, I think the the big thing that, um, you know, I, I took away from tour, like to the kind of the tour booking world is 
people will sort of get ahead of themselves and they think that they need services that they might not need. Like not every band right out the gate needs a manager or an agent. There's something to be said for grinding that out on your own and the connections that you make with people. And, and if you are, for instance, a brand new brand or a brand new artist or streamer or, or whatever, it's a really great way to connect with your fans. I mean, to, to sell merch and you can slip in fun little things or little notes, like people appreciate those little gestures. And I think that, um, you know, I'm not trying to downsell what we do on our e-commerce end, but I think there's some value in sort of learning how the process works. And, um, you know, of course, if that's something that you want a company to handle for you so you can focus on the creative, there's nothing wrong with that either. But, yeah. um, you know, I, it's a lot easier than people make it sound. I, I took a trip yes. in Iowa recently and um, vaccine family. And I, I took a meeting on the phone with a client who's substantial. I mean, she, she's um, very, very intelligent. She's MIT educated, has a show on Netflix, um, you know, like, and she's new to the merch game. And um, she was self-admitted in that. She's like, guide me through the process. And that's okay. Like, we don't expect everyone to be experts and, and I'm yeah. happy to walk through, you know, people through that process. And, and, um, there's no shame in that. If that's, that's, totally. that's what we've spent years and years honing in and, and being able to make those recommendations. So, um, I think, and even for her, we got done with the conversation. She's like, Oh, this is going to be way simpler than I thought. I thought I was going to be a year from launching a store and we're going to have a store up and running for by black Friday, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It prevents them well, from doing things, you know? Yeah, it's funny. Like, it's an interesting answer that you came back with because I think maybe I was, well, I still do want to get specifics, but I like that you kind of stopped me there and you're like, well, it actually can be as simple as having an idea because that's the whole reason you're a company is you can take that. Um, because really like, I guess we have done that. Like I've brought you artists where it's like, this is the design or like, we even had an artist that drew out their own design. Sometimes you can get a designer, um, or actually you guys probably even have in-house designers as well. So you could literally just be like, I saw this design. I like this kind of style and come to you and you could get, sketch it up. Like, you could, it doesn't even have to be fully polished. Sorry to interrupt, but you know, you can bring an idea to the table even or so. Mm-hmm. pencil sketch and be like can you do something like this on a some shirts tell me what and we can literally take that from the beginning and go and help you develop it i mean that's what that's what we're here for and i guess that's actually a benefit if you find a good merch company that's willing to work with you in your career is instead of going to like a dot com maker and having to upload like a final art and hope the resolution is good whatever you can just be like I have this many fans. I want to make something that looks like this. What do I do? And you can be like, you should make about this many. It should cost about this much. It should be on this shirt kind of thing, like whatever. Um, So that is really cool. But for the nerdy technical side of me, I also want to talk about those things specifically a little bit. So for the sake of this conversation, let's use old podcaster Andrew and say that it's finally time to make some Where Are All My Friends merch. And I've got a whole big word full of a name and what do I do? Whatever. But I come to you and I want to make, how do I wear this? I guess I just want to talk about the specific things. So I have a design. I want to do it on a black shirt and it's going to be one specific ink. Um, what are some shirts like 
what are some things as a, as a, that, like how many options are there? What are things to think with? Give me some specifics here. Tons of options. Um, and again, that's where we're going to pull that information out of you. Like what's your core demographic? Do you think they're going to like American apparel type stuff? Or are we going, um, you know, more like a standard Gildan or an all style tee, you know, Mm-hmm. Those are the kinds of questions that we're going to immediately lead with. Like, do you know what blanks you want? No, you don't. Do you have an idea of the kind of shirts you like? Do you want them soft? Do you want them boxy? Do you want? Yeah, I want it. I want it boxy. About how much does that cost, and what are my options? <laughs> so, I mean, again, it's it's all sort of art dependent. But you know, if you have a simple one color shirt, and you're going to do 36 of them, and you're going to do it on a gilded tee, you're going to end up you know, between five and six bucks a shirt. I mean, that's not bad. Roughly where you're at. Um, you know, and, and that price fluctuates with more complicated art or more placements, but it's very, I mean, if you're getting into the nitty gritty, it's very economical to do it this way. And yeah. you're able to take this small batch of shirts, say it's for your podcast or a, a small batch hot sauce company or, uh, you know, a brand new band, you can take that online. You can sell that for 15 bucks and you can make money. You know? Yep. That's, that's beautiful. You will. I wanted like, I wanted just like a little bit of a that. Like I want to encourage people. Like I want, it's not I want that. people that. We'll tell you. That's we'll like my you. whole idea here. We'll tell you how much it's going to cost. And mm-hmm. if that's too much, we'll figure out, okay, what's your actual budget? And mm-hmm. work within that and make some tweaks. Maybe you sent art that's too, it's too many colors and. Oh, if we yeah, I gave you all, 16 colors. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like there are options. And so we will present those options to you and work with you to find something that works for you. Nice. Okay. Um, let's talk about, I'm like almost, I'm watering down the things that I know because I want to make it so, so basic. What about fulfillment? Okay. Should, is this something that as an independent creator that I should worry about? Or uh, what's more economical? Do I use you as fulfillment or do I have it all sent to my house? So here, there's sort of two lines of thought here. And and this is kind of really dependent on the person, how much time they're investing in their project. Like, is this their full tilt thing? Are they spending hours and hours, you know, doing research to put up YouTube videos and they're doing all this editing? Do they have time to do the fulfillment? That's the first question. Do they have time? Mm -hmm. Anyone in this era can build a Shopify or a big cartel or a a Squarespace and sell merch online. You can do it yourself. It's not that difficult to figure out. Yeah. You might not make all the right decisions and you might end up paying too much in shipping or, you know, whatever. But if you've got the time and you want to learn how to do it, it's not hard. There's plenty of resources, you know, online to figure out how to do it. Uh, I, Pretty much everything that I know how to do in my career is thanks to YouTube University. It's free. It's on. Yeah, boy. Uh, You can just type in something that you want to learn, boom, and you're off. And I think that that's really cool. Now, if you don't want to do that, you have zero interest in doing e-commerce. You don't want to deal with customer service. You don't want to deal with shipping. You don't want to run to, you know, USPS right now. There's another option. You know, we do e-commerce fulfillment for all sorts of different situations. Uh, YouTubers, um, hip-hop artists, punk bands. We do this really sick 
streetwear company. Like it's like a Dungeons and Dragons style streetwear called Cantrip. That's got a couple streamers involved in it. I mean, a lot of different, we do, uh, you know, uh, US distribution for record labels. There's a lot of different situations here. You don't have to fit into any one demo, but yeah, yeah. we can build you a store. Um, we primarily use Shopify. It's an awesome mm-hmm. e-com solution. It's my favorite by far. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing's perfect, but it's it's a good, strong resource. You can build really, really clean looking sites and it's very powerful. There's a lot of apps that can integrate into it and we can run your fulfillment and yeah. you know, that's inclusive of customer service and all that. And then that allows you the time to focus on the creative. And that's what I tell a lot of people that are, are on the fence. I just ask them, I'm like, where, where are your priorities? Do you want to spend time doing this yourself? Or do you want to invest that same amount of time into, you know, writing new music, growing your brand, putting out more videos? Like if you consider yourself a creative and you don't want to deal with the nuts and bolts of doing, you know, fulfillment and stuff like that, then yeah, maybe you should outsource that to us or another merch company and have them run the show. Yeah. And then you basically get to, you know, use your social media to promote it and put it out there. But you don't have to deal yeah. with any of the logistics. You don't have to deal with anything behind the scenes. And yeah, it's pretty freeing to do that. It's just, what is that worth to you? Totally. Something that I always tell my artists, or I guess more so when I was deeper in managing artists is like, I guess the the most basic level is you can do the first scenario we talked about. You can save up two, 300 bucks by 36 of your a basic, like one color ink on a basic Gildan shirt and basically double your money, right? Like get it shipped to you, fulfill your orders. I think it's pretty easy to sell 36 shirts and, you know, double your money effectively after that. And I think that it's a good thing to start there because you kind of get a hands-on understanding with relatively low stakes, right? Worst thing that happens is you lose two, two or $300 and you end up hooking up your family with some shirts for the holidays and birthdays, whatever. More than likely, you'll figure it out. Maybe one or two of them get lost in the mail, whatever. You send people, like, it's like the stakes are very low and it's a good way to understand it fully. But I think that as artists grow, what if you want to do three shirts? Now, all of a sudden, you're keeping track of the sizes and the breakdowns and the that. You want to do more designs. You're getting more of a demand. You're starting to be like, damn, I need to edit my video. I need to edit this song. I don't have time to send all this out. I think that it kind of comes back to echo your point of like, it doesn't have to be as complicated as it is that. Like when it feels heavy, then you know it's time to delegate. And I, but you don't have to like, I think that's a make it a. Yeah. Because I think when it starts to, um, sort of suffocate you in other areas of your projects, whatever that is. Or if you find yourself not outputting, like if the demand's there and you find yourself not outputting new designs because you know that you're going to be the one that's staying up all night, packing those up, shipping them out, and you're like, I don't feel like it. It's time to shift because you can pay, if, if you're literally, if you find it to be burdensome and you know, it's not any longer exciting and you're not putting out new stuff that is actually going to sell because you don't want to deal with the logistics. Well, now it's time to pay somebody else to do it because you could be making money that you're just leaving out on the table. If you have a core audience that wants to buy your shit, you should be putting it out, you know? And right. And, and that's what I tell people. It's like, okay, is this slowing you down? If you had somebody else yeah. doing this for you, 
would you up more designs? Would you promote the store more? Would you would you really lean on that for a source of revenue? And if the answer is yes, then it's time to, it's time to make that shift. It's time to make that shift. Right. Um, and then talk to me about that. Like, what would you say the standard rate is? Because again, I don't want to make this just like a big overcast commercial, I know, I, I, but I want to educate people to like, I want somebody to be able to listen to this and then like have a discussion, like to do their research and have a discussion, be it your company or another company and be like, all right, I kind of did the first round or like, damn, I paid a little too much. I tried to do my own shirts. It's time. What's like a good percentage to expect that you'll pay a, a, a company for like running your store? It's because typically it's percentages, right? It's yeah, not like a. It depends. I mean, normal. Okay. That's the preferred situation because it's a lot easier um, and it scales well. Um, it's mm -hmm. not because every company is going to have a different rate and a different, yeah. you know, uh, way of accounting and how they do things. Um, Yep. Here, I've been pretty adamant about keeping it very, very simple and very clean and very, hey, you know, we do net deals, so we'll take a percentage of your profit after cost of goods. So you're not, we're not charging you twice on the same amount. And yeah, explain, I guess, explain that model in the simplest way, because I think that's a good way. It's a good base. You do keep it simple. If somebody can understand that, they can think with it for different companies. So um, going super simple, and I'm, I'm throwing out numbers that are roundabout. I don't want to get too far into that because it. every situation is different. And totally. But say you're, um, you're brand new and um, you're paying very simple math. This isn't how this works out at all, but you're selling your shirts for, for uh, 25 bucks and you're paying $5 for the shirt. You know, we're going to take a percentage, a low percentage that's weighted to the artist, but we're going to take a percentage of the difference of that. So the $20. Now that covers our time in packing up the order and getting it sent out. Um, the customer service that comes with that. And, and that's the part where it gets, it gets weird and it gets different because every merch company does that, that structure differently. Some people charge for customer service and right. based on the package that you pay for them tells you how much customer service you get. You know, is it Monday through Friday? Is it seven days a week? Is it, Jeez. You know, it's, it, I've seen deals. I've seen really bizarre merch deals where I'm like, this is really intense and, and they're trying to make it sort of boutique and you pick what features you want. And I, I don't, interesting. I, I don't want to do things that way. I've never done things that way. I, it seems a little too complicated to make that, you know, I, I we yeah. try to make it as so, cool and clean and clear as possible. So it's like, you so can, continue to explain that. Cause I like that. So wait, the other arrangements or no, no, no. Like, uh, like a, like the 20, a $5 shirt sold yeah, for so, $25. No, no, they paid us $5 to produce the shirt. So, you know, mm -hmm. what we do is, is net. So it's, you know, of the profit. So on the $25 sale, you paid us $5 to make the shirt already. So we'll take a percentage of just the profit portion, the 20%. And then you get the rest. Of the $20. Of the $20, right. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, getting into the nitty gritty, the accounting stuff quarterly, typically speaking. And again, every situation is different. But, um, you know, so you'll get a statement at the end of the quarter. Of, okay, this is how much you did in sales. This is how much your production bill was. Here's the difference. Here's the check. Send it out. Yeah. And it's that simple, you know, and, and, and is it like, 
what is it around? I feel like it's around 20% though, right? Like if you profit 20 bucks, 20, that's, that's a very common percentage and yeah, deals that are different. You know, they go down to 15, they go up to, I mean, depending where you're working at and what company you're with, I've seen crazy deals. I've seen where the company is taking 30, 40%, you know, it, it really depends. Well, and to explain that it's like, to do customer service and fulfillment and all of the setup, there are certain parts of that that are effectively the same if you're selling 50 shirts a month or 5,000 shirts a month. And that's- so I understand where that gets tricky. Um, but like, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's around 20%-ish to manage a store. That's pretty normal. On, yeah, yeah, yeah. On... On the net is very rad too, not the gross. Yeah, I feel like, and, and that's just me personally, but the, doing it gross is a little strange because you've already charged them for the merch. Right. They've already right you for that. So to take a percentage of what you've already charged them, is, it's kind of double dipping. It's kind of- Right. So like, and to explain that, to, to paint that, the $25 shirt idea. So basically you're saying if a shirt costs $5 to make and it's sold for $25, if say your deal is 20% to have a store fulfill it, if you're doing it on the net, then you're doing, that would be $4 out of the $20 profit. You're then paying your store to manage it and run it and fulfill it $4. So you would make 16. Whereas if you were to do it on the gross, they're taking 25 or 20% of $25, which then becomes $5. And maybe that only feels like a dollar there, but we're using small hypothetical numbers. And if you're selling thousands of shirts, that shit adds up quick. And I think things like that are the things that, again, I don't want to overwhelm anybody listening to this, but that's why I like to just kind of break down a hypothetical. And I think in the very simplest form to say a company that charges a percentage around 20, depending on circumstance on net profit is a pretty reasonable thing. If a store is doing your fulfillment. I mean, and that's the thing is like, we try to come to something that's fair and we're very transparent. I mean, even the stores, every store that we run, the artist also has their own login to the exact same store. Yes. You see their order queues. They can run the same financial reports that we're running. It is a hundred percent transparent. There's no weird. You get two audits a year to figure out you know, what actually sold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That gets strange. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't like that setup. To me, right. The agreement is, hey, don't go in there and start changing shit around. But here's a full access account because I yeah. think that the transparency is important, and I think that's why people. You know, we don't lock people into contracts. We're we're not. Oh, that's another thing. Is certain if you're at that point and you want to work with a company, certain times you'll have to sign a contract to say that this company will exclusively do your merch for X amount of time, um, and maybe that you'll even end up having to do. There would be a difference between doing online merch or tour merch when that comes back. And certain times companies like a record deal would even advance you. Like you could sometimes get an advance where they'll be like, we'll give you 10,000 or however much dollars, depending on how big of an artist you are to exclusively do all your merch. And though you might be like, yo, sick, I just got paid. Maybe the terms to that contract that you're signing are really fucking bad. And they're about to profit a lot more than 10K off that. Nothing's free. People are giving you something. Right. And right. I tell people that all the time. 
you know, like yeah, no one's out here being successful by just handing away buckets of free cash. Everything right. has strings attached. And I, yeah. I think that that's important, especially for young artists to understand. And sometimes an advance is necessary. Sometimes you mm-hmm. need an advance. There's some shit going on in your camp where, you know, you've got all these big plans. You need a way to fund them. You know that you're going to take a little bit of an L by trade, doing that trade-off, or at least the merch company thinks that you they stand a profit from that situation. And that's fine. That's yeah. the business. There's nothing shady about that. It's you go to a bank and you take a loan, you're going to pay interest. I mean, that's just how the world works. Totally. But totally. But just be aware of that. And, and you know, especially yeah. artists that are blowing up, nothing's free. And it might seem like a big, you know, oh, I got, I could buy a new car in cash with this, but bet on yourself. I mean, if, there, if someone's interested in you enough to hand you a big bucket of cash, there's a reason. Yeah, maybe you could get that bucket yourself. You could get that bucket yourself. I'm not saying you could because a lot of uh, merch companies and managers and labels bring a lot of really excellent shit to the table that you couldn't possibly do for yourself. But there's some shit you can yeah. you can yeah. by just doing a little bit of research, doing a little bit of legwork and making some of those decisions for yourself. You know, I think so sort of in the music industry and hearing about these crazy Oh, million dollar advance, whatever. I'm like, dude, that merch company made out like a bandit paying a million dollars for that because they probably yeah. they probably sold millions of dollars worth of merch for that contract. And- right. And it's it's really interesting. Like again, we're we're getting into bigger numbers and playing out bigger hypotheticals, but it's like to an artist, you could be, oh my God, I just got a million dollar advance. But like, and that is such a big number that you're just stoked. But when you actually break it down several million were made off of exactly that kind of thing. But I don't want to get too, too far into that. That seems like Um, Going back to like me as like the hypothetical person getting into it. So basically what I'm taking away is if I have a general knack and a, a general desire to do my own store, it can be as simple as finding a merch company, getting in touch with them. Maybe I provide the art. Maybe I know somebody who designs it, or maybe I have an idea. That is then translated into a design. The company, the merch company will probably tell you like, hey, scale back the colors. It can end up, I guess something that we could simply explain is every color that you end up putting on a shirt adds a little bit of extra money, like the extra ink and setting up the screen. So maybe a company will break it down and be like, hey, you have six colors on this. Really, you could get it done and make it look just as good with two or three, something like that those different things, the amount of locations that it's printed on the shirt, the type of garment will all kind of vary in the cost. But if you're doing a bare bones, basic ass design, you could probably expect it should cost around five or six bucks. Um, And then if you're really in the nitty gritty of it and you want to fulfill it yourself, awesome. You can do that. You put in the order, you get it's then it's as simple as basically just being like X per unit this is how many you ordered, this is what shipping costs, maybe you pay tax depending on where you're at, and that's that, go fulfill it. Or if you're getting to a spot where all of a sudden you realize that your fans and your followers and your supporters really like what you're doing and you want to get more creative and you want to do more than one design or your ideas are coming faster than your time to fulfill, then there's this option where you can go to a merch company and they will do all of your fulfillment. They'll run your store. They'll do all of that. And you're basically the idea machine. And for something like that, you're paying a percentage and they're doing the rest. And there's, did I summarize yeah, that? That's a, 
great summary because um, there there is a point in everyone's career as they develop where they will need to outsource that task. And yeah, you don't need to do it right at the beginning. You can start a free store on Big Cartel and pay Big Cartel. A, you know, their I don't even know what their fees are, but a service fee for a transaction fee for every sale or whatever, and keep it really low cost, low risk, no commitments, no big setups, you know, and, and do it yourself. But then as you scale, you'll find that that's a task that you will make more money if you pay somebody else to do it and you'll grow to that, that era. And then, you know, we're off. Yeah. So another spot now that I want to talk about is like, that's the very basics. That's like making a shirt or whatever. And that's kind of like, hopefully the 101 of like the options that you can take something else that I've seen you continue to push boundaries on, which I think is really fun and really cool. So say you're at the point where you know you have a following and you want to do more than just a shirt. I have seen you make some cool shit lately. And this I think is a benefit where it's like, if you go to a dot-com store, you're pretty much limited to like, do you want a hoodie or a t-shirt kind of thing? Um, Talk to me about some of your favorite creative projects or like what you've been able to do. And I guess I should preface this is if you're going to do something like this, you should be thinking with ordering a pretty decent amount of it because to make bespoke custom stuff on a small level does get expensive. But I've seen you do some cool stuff. Talk to me about the fun that you can have as you continue to grow as an artist and how creative you can get. I think the timing of this podcast is excellent because we just put out probably one of my favorite collections, projects that I've ever done um, for one of our artists, Guapdad4000, who is the funniest, realist motherfucker out there. Uh, yes. I'm so glad you brought this one up because I saw that project drop and I was like, oh, it's good. Incredible. It's absolutely incredible. First of all, Guap Dad as an artist is a true hustler, like in the purest sense. He gets after it and he grinds it. He was super, super involved in this project from start to finish. So the way he, he was so involved in developing it so that it was so reflective of stuff that he wants to wear it's this is not stuff that he's like oh i think this will sell like he's like no i don't fucking wear joggers i want sweatpants and i want them done this way and i want them on champion and we're gonna make it happen and and he was like so excited so involved and that project we've been working on it for months it dropped the, the whole capsule dropped last monday he put out a new single um yesterday called alpha go fucking check it out if you're into uh hip-hop at it's really good. That was a really fun one. And the collection turned out beautiful. Um, one of the guys on his team, Paul Middleton, did the photography um, for the, the set. And it's breathtaking. Um, yes. we were Which I also loved because it was a lot of tuner, like JDM tuner cars, which is totally like my route. your shit. I knew when you saw yeah. that, that you would be like so fired up because I was like, Cram's a car, dude. Yeah. We'll love this shit. I saw that S13. I was oh. like, all right, whoever directed this knows. <laughs> so they 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 did a really cool thing with this particular collection. They they shot, they did the whole photo set, and they also did a video at the same time. And oh, they did a video? I didn't see the video. Watch it. It's incredible. Oh, cool. Where is it? Is it on his page or YouTube or find I think the link is in his bio now and still will be. Okay. I'm sure I can find it. And it's on YouTube. The song's called Alpha. Um, but they did the shoot, they did the video shoot and the photo set in the same one. So we dropped the capsule on Monday, um, with these stunning, stunning, uh, 
you know, photos, the models are breathtaking. Yeah. They killed it. They're natural. They, they look amazing yeah. in the stuff, but that's how this, I saw it. And I'm like, you know, these, these are obviously models and they're, they're so good at, at, at demonstrating this stuff, but this is how it looks in person. Like they did a really, really good job of capturing, you know, I think the big thing is like, people are always kind of unsure what they'll look like in it. And, you know, people, companies use models because they want to present the very best. And these models are gorgeous and, and, you know, beautiful people, but also they demonstrated like the merch. That's what it really looks like, you know, and they killed yeah. it. And, and, and so much so this photo set, Paul crushed it so much on this photo set that I had a whole store built before I got the photos. I saw some previews from the shoot and I'm like, okay, I kind of know what I want the site to look like. And I built out something. And I got the photo set and I deleted my whole store bill because I was like, this is not sufficient. <laughs> like we've got to you were like, yeah. elevate this and make this so photo centric because I was hyped. Like I got the photo set and I'm like, it was on a Sunday. I'd come in to, to make, I was just going to plug the photos in and we were going to be live. And I'm like, no, fuck this. I spent 12 hours on Sunday doing a whole new site build. This is the day before launch. And I'm like, this this will not suffice. This this yeah. photo set is too gorgeous to not make this store as photocentric as possible, and that's yeah. You, I think you saw and the site probably. That's how it came out. I mean, the, the, yeah, the site is my probably my favorite build. It's my favorite collection. Yeah, and let this be a lesson. Like one thing that I wanted to talk about was like, I feel like your fans and supporters can fucking tell, like when you put care into something, when you put that much thought into a photo shoot and like compliment the merchandise that you made so well, like everyone can tell you as the store builder, as the merge company was like, fuck this, I'm putting more time in. Like people can tell when you put thought and care into things. And I loved seeing that. I'm so glad you brought that it, example. It up. was also, I, I just, it, the timing is perfect because it, it literally was probably my, one of my favorite collections we've ever dropped. And oh, it's so cool. Tell me what the collection was because there were some really cool items in it. Too. It did like a, a, like a motocross style jersey um, that was a custom cut and sew piece. Uh, we did a sweatsuit. We did, you know, uh, like a nice comfort colors, Kiwi tee. And basically they'd sent a whole tech of designs and we, you know, worked together over. You did like bike shorts too, no? Yeah. So we did this collection. We did like a whole women's section too. Um, yeah. I feel like that's not always represented super strong. And that was something that everyone was really, really excited about, making sure that there's pieces that, they're not just unisex pieces, they're pieces specifically for women that they're fucking jacked on. We did like a crop top jacket. Um, We did, uh, yeah, these really, really nice high-waisted biker shorts. And they look, on model, they look fucking stunning. Like they, I am so psyched on how they turned out. We did like a two colorways of a hoodie. Um, did like a cool tote bag. We had these like fun little accessories and, and this drop morphed a lot over time, but I'm really, really happy with the output. I'm super, I, just the whole collection looked, it looked amazing. Okay, so now me as podcast listener, I'm listening and I'm like, yo, I'm in, I'm sold. They've inspired me. I'm gonna get out my merch game, but I'm so inspired now that I'm thinking of custom pieces and I wanna make something cool. I wanna make something I've only dreamed of. What's uh? What realistically to make it any kind of profitable as an artist, like about how many units can you think with before you should be getting like into the spicy customs? Like the jersey, yeah. For example, like you're gonna want to do at least 100 pieces, like this. And you're gonna, okay. The other thing with this is you're gonna need to know that you can sell this shit 
at a at a retail rate and people will buy it at a retail rate that makes sense with the cost because these types of items are not cheap to produce they're just not yeah it's not your five or six dollars not a five or six uh, right you know there's a lot there's months of r&d that go into pieces like this and that costs money there's just right so that's kind of like a double-edged sword. Like anything is possible. Like really, I think now if you find the right company and like if you dream it, you can do it. And we've even made some cool custom pieces yeah. together, but it becomes a different thing. It becomes like prepare to have some months go into it. There's not just a random stock of this. You're going to have to go source it. You're going to have to figure out how it's cut and sewed, sewn, cut and sewn. Um yeah, I mean, and we'll handle that, but you got to give it, you got to plan ahead for these types of things. This is not something where you're like, hey, I have this idea. Can I get it back next week? That's not realistic. Right. You know, this, and I think that the, and, and I definitely think this in e-com, the Amazon era has really warped our perception of what a realistic, <laughs> like, turn time is for stuff that we want, you know? So if you're an artist and you're thinking about developing all this custom, this custom, these custom pieces, um, give it some time, you know, like it's gonna, yeah. it's gonna take time. 93 feet of smoke, who is an artist that we are done. Guy. Mark, great, great fucking human being, really cool ideas, like really, really cool merch ideas. And yes. we're about to drop a new collection for Mark. And this is stuff that he's so fucking creative and he comes up with such cool shit and mm -hmm. it takes time and he understands that. And so he planned yeah. ahead and he's like, Hey, these are custom pieces that I want. And he's so, you know, he's so intense about quality and making it, making sure that it turns out exactly as he envisions it. And he's willing to give it the time and his fans yeah. appreciate that. Like they, they know yeah. that he put that much passion and energy and, you know, sort of creative juice into outputting this product and they respond to that. And I think that yeah, part I think makes people like Mark so successful because and Guap too, you know, like these artists, they care so much about what they put out. They're not, you know, just putting out a random tee. I mean, they put out t-shirts too, because they want to put out cost of, you know, stuff that everyone can buy, but they also tailor these like really specific products and they put a lot of time and effort and energy into developing something that's absolutely peace, you know, and that I have to add to that actually. I think there's levels of that as well. And I, I want to compliment specific, I guess I have to say specifically overcast here. Again, I'm not trying to make this an overcast commercial, but <laughs> I remember before the version three tour, the guys were excited about custom stuff, but I kind of had to be not even the bearer of bad news, but I was like, yo, look, we only have a couple weeks before this tour goes out. Like, I don't know how custom we'll be able to get, but there were two things that you did. I might actually... I'm going to talk about this one specific one first. I was with 93 and we went to downtown LA and he found this random dude that had split t-shirts. I, re I remember. And I remember what you're talking about. literally like, I, and again, I have to only say it specifically for Overcast. I, you probably could get another merch company to do this, but I thought it was really cool that to his credit and to y'all's credit, he's like, listen, I know we only have so much time, but I want to do something special. And he literally brought you this box of blanks that he sourced. And he was like, can we uh, do something cool with this? And you made a split design tee. And that was a cool compromise of, yes, it was special and custom, but he did that like weird hands-on found the garment. And then to y'all, all you had to do was set up the screen for it. And it ended up being really special. And the other one that I want to say is 
we together made a pair of sweatpants that I feel like was a, a a staple in the in the scene in a small scene for a minute but the shinigami sweatpants was something that i think for the six months after those were made you saw just all of the homies and everyone wearing those is that cool and that was and people like develop these cool ideas and they get creative and they're not just doing there's nothing wrong most of the merch i wear as a human being is very straightforward big you know a front print or pocket print back print but there are there are these people that think bigger than that and dress yeah. bigger than that and like have these yeah. ideas and just figure out how to fucking make them happen. And I think yeah. that's a and special that's a special type. Not everyone totally wants to get after it like that or has those fun ideas, but that's what but, makes those types of artists cool and special, you know. And I think that that's why I wanted to talk about this with you on this podcast is like, I want to incur anybody that thinks that they could make an extra bit of money and add some value to their fans by making merchandise. It doesn't have to be that. Like start with a shirt, see if your fans like it. But I know the feeling of working with artists and them being so frustrated that they have a vision of something that they want to do. And a merch company comes back and they're like, we can put pink ink on black shirt instead of white ink. And you're like, all right, I'm so bummed. So like, I love to see your excitement of like challenge accepted. And I should also compliment Bailey on this. I have not spoken nearly enough. Like we're talking about this, like as if you've only done it, you and Bailey are partners in crime. And when we were making these things together, it was the back and forth and Bailey's excitement as well to be like challenge accepted. Like, here's this crazy idea. Let's figure out how to make it happen. Like with those sweatpants, he drew those on an iPad. He had an idea and he literally hand drew them. And I don't know if we gave you the right file. We gave you whatever he drew and you're like, all right, here we go. And we got blanks and we found the right ones. And I think that's really exciting and encouraging to have as an artist to know there are companies out there where like maybe you need to get a specific amount, like a minimum order quantity. Um, but you can do some crazy shit now and companies will be excited to do it. I think that's like going back to the like business part, not to jump too far back, but I think, you know, Please. Yeah, Bailey, like that's a perfect example of um, people that work well together. Like Bailey and I were friends long before we did this shit and being in business with your friends can be a really tough thing to navigate. But Bailey and I constantly are pushing each other to an, a totally aggravating point, I'm sure, on both ends. But, you know, this shop would not be what it is without him. And I do want to take a moment to, to say that because he is also a fucking hustler. And, like, yeah, way more than me in the sense of when someone brings a project, I'm, sometimes I'm, like, the voice of it. I don't know. It's kind of a bold fucking undertaking for two and a half weeks. And he's like, we'll figure it out. We'll get it done. And that's who he is. It's just how he is. And I, that's something that I love because um, I don't view myself as a naysayer, but I can be um, overly realistic sometimes where I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And baby was like, we'll make it happen. We can do this, you know, and yeah. push our boundaries as a company and what we've been able to do because and sometimes it doesn't always pay off, but a lot of times, most of the time, I would say it does. And it's, it's what's taught us how to do new shit. You know, like someone wanted to print lunch boxes and it was printing on metal. It's a completely different process. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know about this dude. And he's like, nope, we'll figure it out. And you know, <laughs> it's, this isn't some operation that like where Bailey and I don't know how to print. We both have done every job you can do 
in, in every position from, from cleaning screens to printing to, you know, doing e-com to working with clients. Yeah. We've done everything here and we will still do it. I mean, I remember even you guys doing jeans for like a crazy high-end streetwear brand where the project was insane. Like you took denim from like a hundred different, I don't know. It was like a million pieces of denim and Bailey's like, we'll do it. We'll make a custom mold. We'll sew it together like this. We'll do this, this, and this. And, you, and I'm like, tense. I mean, that project is great. I mean, it's like custom embroidery, like across multiple panels and getting that to line up. It's, it's, you know, these types of projects are very hands-on, they're very difficult, but you got to figure it out. I mean, you just have to fucking figure it out. And um, that's the kind of dude that Bailey is. And, and that's what makes him a great business partner. And, and it's good to play off people like that. It's good to be surrounded, not just in business, but, you know, if you're an artist or a podcaster or a whatever, it's good to surround yourself with people that, that inspire you, motivate you, yeah, push you to be... And I'm surrounded by people like that that constantly motivate me and inspire me. And, you know, that I'm like, yeah, this, this person fucking hustled and they don't just do this. They do this, 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 um, the guy that's behind me, uh, Des, this dude is like always working on new music. Um, always doing shit, you know, uh, Davies, my lead art dude, he's in Bamakara and he does, he's been super helpful with, um, this this uh for the children project that we've got he's always grinding on that you know andres is next to him does nature world you know there, there's everyone's got all of these cool hustles and things that they're working on and and that's really inspiring to be around and i think that that's if there's any takeaway from any of this shit that's not directly merch related it's that like surround yourself by people that motivate you and go out and get it because that they will push you to be the best version of you and the most dude and to add to that i think to pay you a credit something that's like when i was deeper in specifically just managing artists and setting up like as a manager a huge part of it is getting merch set up there is something about like working with the wrong company where it's nothing but problem and nothing about like we should be safe we should be conservative are you sure you want to do this this would be cheaper that sucks the soul out of you Whereas like we're in a creative industry and when you can go to something that you could consider daunting or even boring of like making merch and have it feel like that, it sucks. But then on the other side of it, to be riffing with your artist or to be just thinking of ideas and then be like, all right, yeah. And to go to your merch company and have them match you with excitement to be like, oh damn, we're about to get crazy, huh? And hit with like that Bailey yes, like to be like, I don't know about this one, guys. And then she'd be like, we'll do it. Let's go. And like, that is so encouraging to surround yourself and to work with people in every facet of your business, where instead of hitting this boring opposition or this whatever, you're hitting like, you know that when you pick up that phone and you come with that idea, that it's going to be this excitement to be like, oh, damn, you're all, you're on that level now, huh? Let's go. Like, that's exciting. That's what makes it worth it. But I, so that's I, cool. That, that's the part of my job I like the most. Like, and I'm just going back to the Guap Dad thing because we've already talked about that. Yeah. Developing that capsule was so much fucking fun and executing it and seeing it come together and seeing the video. I mean, there's, it just, it makes me love, while it's stressful and there's a lot going on and there's a lot to, you know, manage and make sure it falls into place. Watching projects like that come together and the artists and the teams being psyched on the output, wanting to wear their own shit 
because they've developed it in a way that they love it, that makes it all worthwhile. You know, it makes all the yep. stress and crazy shit that went into it. That's where it executes. And seeing people post on Instagram being like, I got my shit, I love it. And they're head to toe in it. That's fucking awesome. And that's what makes me excited and stoked to do what I do. And it's why I love, I love this shit, you know? Dude, what a perfect spot to leave it. I love that. And uh, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for being the person you are and being a, a positive force in, in what could be such a taxing and grinding industry. Um, I, I was really, I wanted to share your story. I wish we could have met up in person, but maybe we'll have you back on afterwards. I'll come up with some even more specific questions and we can come at it. But I, I was, this was amazing for me. Like after conversations like this, I'm re-inspired and I'm like, let's go. Let's think of some creative shit. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, we've been talking about this forever. So I'm, you know, I wish we could have done it in real life. I'm still trying to learn how to play Settlers of Catan. Um, dude but you know i'm glad we could make it happen in such a crazy time and i hope that uh you know i hope it resonates with somebody and and uh you know they get after it and, and kind of create their own their own you know bring their own ideas to life so thanks for having me I appreciate absolutely so here's where it's allowed to be a commercial somebody listens to this they relate to you they like you they say you know what it's time i'm gonna make some merch i don't feel like doing any research i trust these boys I'm going to reach out. Where can they find you? Um, <clears throat> I chose. <laughs> You're like, okay. <laughs> <I'm> like, oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the company is called Overcast Merch. You can find us on Instagram. You can drop me an email, andredovercastmerch.com. <clears throat> we'll riff on it. <laughs> the worst timing for this. Uh, worst yeah, we'll, we'll bring it to life. And, um, you know, Big or small, doesn't matter what the project is, you know, let's, let's get after it, see, see what we can do together, you know? I love it. All right, dude. Thank you so okay, much. Thanks for having me, buddy. Talk to you soon. So there it is, Andrew Doyle's story. I really hope you liked this episode. I hope that you got some value out of these specific questions in this conversation of how to make merch and how to do some of these things. We were talking about it and it felt like the right time to do it. Obviously people can't tour right now and I think there's a lot of money to be made and I think there's a lot of fans that wanna support artists online. So here is a perfect way to do that. If you're interested in it and you do want to get in touch with him, by all means, hit him up. Like he said, his email is andrew at overcastmerch.com. His personal Instagram is axxdoyle, which is D-O-Y-L-E. If this helped you at all, make sure to shoot him a message. He's a busy guy and he took the time to come on and share all this wisdom. So I'm sure he'd love to hear from you, even if you're not trying to work with him, just for him to hear from you and know that it helped, I'm sure would be massively cool to him. And like I said in that intro, if you've been liking the podcast and this helps you and you enjoy any bit of it, taking that 30 seconds to share it with a friend, to subscribe where you're listening, to donate, to tell a friend about it in person. Any of those things are so immensely helpful. I really do want to keep this going and I want to build it. I want to make this even bigger and better. And it all starts with those little things. So if you're listening, you made it this far, you liked it and you're down to do that. I cannot thank you enough for it. All right. I'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you as always for listening.